champion. Right, I want to talk to you tonight about a little thing called consequence. Something that affects all our lives, but sometimes we don't take the time to evaluate what this is and um, what the implications are of it and whether we can do anything about it. Um, so I want to talk tonight about transforming consequence to work on your behalf. Uh, consequence, let's give it a definition. It, it's a sequential event occurring as a result of something happening prior to it. Let me say that again. It's a sequential event occurring as a result of something happening prior to it. Let me give you an alternative to that. It's a sequence of events or experiences connected to an act, choice, or event that initiated them. I want you to look at the word. If you split the word into two, con-sequence, con-sequence, you get the idea of the word. Consequence is a process of connected sequence, okay? that we experience once that is initiated in, in any area of our life. It's going on all the time. It's happening right now. You and I are living in the midst of it. Most of us only understand and appreciate consequence in a negative context, when actually tonight we're going to translate it into a positive context, okay? <clears throat> so let me say a few things about uh, consequence. Um, some consequences may be imposed by those holding authority, okay? As in, for example, if you're a naughty boy or a naughty girl and you finish up at the magistrates or the crown court, God forbid, <coughs> the gentleman there behind the desk or the gentleman, if you're at the magistrates, will make a decision to issue you with a consequence for the choices that you have made. <coughs> And so con some consequences may be imposed by those holding authority, but the process of consequence is not controlled by them. Because you see, you might not finish up in front of the magistrates, but that doesn't mean there isn't a consequence to what it is that you did that would have put you in front of the magistrates, okay? So every single choice that we make, every act we engage in, Every decision we action has with it a consequence, okay? I want you to understand that, okay? Otherwise, all we think is we use it in terms of, well, he suffered the consequence of his actions, and we've just isolated it to a person or, or a female who's done a certain thing, and then we are very sensitive and aware that there are consequences to their actions. Usually that's because we isolate um, the severe cases, and most often we isolate the cases in areas where we have a particular sensitivity. For example, there's a Bible story about a woman who was thrown at the feet of Jesus for Jesus to judge her because she'd been caught in adultery. So it's like because that particular thing rung their bell as being wrong, they thought there has to be a consequence. But the truth is we are living in consequence, we are creating consequence, and we are experiencing consequence all the time, and we need to understand how this works. So consequence is neither an invention of society nor a construct of the church or religion, okay? Because some people think, oh, this, <clears throat> this is a, a social invention, 
Or, or a lot of people think <clears throat> this is a construct of the church or religion because a lot of the preaching of, of, of church and religion has been about consequence. If you, if you commit sins, you will go to hell. That's a consequential type of preaching, okay? Um, now, I, I, you will hear me talk some different language on stuff like that, but that's not my subject for tonight. I'm just simply illustrating that we can think that consequence is an invention of society or a construct of church or religion, but it isn't. Consequence is what it is, okay? And when we try to tag it to social events or religious events, what we're trying to do is convince ourselves that there is no such a thing as consequence functioning all the time in our life, and we're monkeys for doing that in all kinds of areas. Uh, now, some think there shouldn't be any consequences. Good luck with that one. <clears throat> That's like saying, I shouldn't get a shock if I touch a live wire, right? Or, I shouldn't drown if I stay underwater too long. Or something equally silly. So, so the idea that why should there be any consequences is as silly as saying why should I get an electric shock if I touch a live wire or why should I drown if I stay under the water without coming up for air. It is what it is, okay? Accept it, it's happening. So, so also not all consequences um, are the result of one's own choices. I need to make that clear, okay? Um, for example, what about the consequence in the context of suffering or psychological damage after a rape or similar trauma? Okay. So you become the unfortunate victim of rape and, and there is psychological and, and, and emotional damage and physiological damage. Uh, that's the consequence, but you, you, did not, you did not initiate the consequence happening in your life. So what you also need to understand is that we are not in control of all the consequences that we, we encounter. So for any of you that um, may have been abused as a child or have been in difficult situations where you are still wrestling with the psychological and emotional uh, damage of wondering um, you need to free yourself and release yourself from thinking, I must have deserved it, okay? It was just something that happened because I wasn't good enough or, 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 or I didn't meet a person's needs enough. And, and I want to release you from that so that we understand that not all consequences that we face in life were created by us. So we live in consequences that others create for us as well. So, so in, this, in this melee of consequence, we better learn how to react, because we can't get rid of the consequence, can we? It's like once I've spoken a word, I can't pull that word back, right? That word's going to create, so, so if, I use, if I use words that hurt you, I can't pull them back. I've created a consequence, so what I'm trying to show you is the consequences that we have in our lives, whether we made them ourselves or whether they were created for us, cannot be withdrawn, they are what they are, so, so we want some wisdom on how to address those consequences. Now the other question that, again, I want to push because we said a little bit about religion and, and um, uh, church, but the question some people ask is, is consequence God-imposed? Um, there are some people who, in my view, have extremely strange views of what God is like. 
Um, won't go too deep into that, but um, if God knows everything, if God is actively all-powerful over everybody's situation, if God is everywhere all the time, um, if God is in control of our world, then I, my conclusion would be he's doing a rubbish job. Try telling, try telling the victims of the Tunisia shooting that God is in control and there's a purpose in that. As your kids, you, you, there's, there's a boy with his brother, his uncle and his granddad laid dead on the beach, shot in cold blood while on holiday. Try telling that boy God is in control, there's a purpose in all of this. That is utter and total nonsense. And uh, if anybody tells you that, tell them I don't want to know that kind of God. You have my permission to tell them, okay? Because the God has been manufactured who more relates to Greek or Roman and ancient Egyptian and, and Eastern thinking of like somehow this pseudo-being. But you see, the truth is about the real God, the Father of Jesus, the one who became incarnate in Jesus, his, 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 his love and his connection and his interaction with humanity. And we have been given freedom by God in our world. He has empowered us to make choices. That's why if we're going to change our world, we are going to have to change our world. Okay. So again, that, that's a bigger story and, and another subject, but it's important to raise because if we have the idea that consequences God imposed, then we go around thinking this person's suffering that because, because God's punishing them or because God's imposed that upon them you know, or, or because they deserve it. Um, in Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, it, it was commonly held that if you were sick, uh, that you had been cursed by God, either because you were a sinner or because somebody in your family had sinned, even generations back. And so people were reluctant to help the blind, the poor, the sick, the lame, because their point was, these people must have sinned. So there was this awful discrimination. So you can understand when Jesus is so loving towards lepers and so engaging towards people whose society said they're being judged by God, they said, there's no way he can be God. Because if he was God, he'd know that they're sick for a reason. Understand? So Jesus loving sick people meant that he was really, as far as they were concerned, he couldn't be God, because if he was God, he wouldn't do that to these sick people. But Jesus loved them because God don't make people sick, and God doesn't kill babies, and, and God doesn't want to take your child because he needs another angel in heaven. Right? Now, there are reasons why we get sick in this world, and there's reasons why we still die, but uh, I can talk to you about that. We can talk about that another time. But it ain't because God makes that happen. Okay? So, so, so is consequence imposed by God? Or is it self-circumstance imposed? So the consequences I face in my life are going to be one of two things because I created that consequence. Now remember a sequence is, how many of you ever lined dominoes up? When you were a kid, or even better, when you're an adult. It's much more fun when you're an adult. You line dominoes up in a row, and of course you touch the first domino, and what happens? There is a consequence, right? The consequence is that each domino hits the rest. 
So this domino here only falls because this domino fell here. Now, many of you know what happens if you make a space in the dominoes here? You get that frustrating thing where it stops halfway because you made a space. My hope tonight is that as we understand the grace of God, we can make a space in the dominoes, right? So I can't say we won't have consequences, but just maybe those consequences can, can come to a stop before they reach their final conclusion. The, the other point I would also make is that when we, when we first engage in an act, a conversation, do something, say something, be something, engage something, we are very rarely thinking about what are the implications of that here, okay? We, we, are, we are so momental, um, uh, uh, close-minded to the fact that, well, if I do this here, the question is what's going to happen down there, okay? So, so we, are, we are engaged in self-imposed circumstance, but also... So, uh, sorry, self-imposed consequence, but also circumstance-imposed consequence, which I've already explained to you, things that happened that others have done, that, uh, and these are the things going in our life. But I just wanted to make sure you didn't think that somehow God's in control of all this, and, you know, he's punishing you. That's, that's one of the terrible issues of the church. I thank God for Jesus. I really do. Okay. So, here's where we are. Everything carries with it a consequence. Okay, do you hear that? Everything. Nothing stands alone. Absolutely nothing. There's not one thing you can do, think, say, activate that stands alone. Okay? Now, I believe that the gospel of Jesus, and I say the gospel of Jesus, not because I'm trying to be contentious, because, but because I'm not always sure that the gospel of Christian religion is all always overlapping correctly with the gospel of Jesus. I actually think, I actually think the gospel of Jesus is much better. Uh, I actually think the news that it brings is, is a bigger good news. Than, so that, that's, that's my particular view. And, and, and that's after a lifetime in the church. So if, if you feel there's any criticism there, that criticism points at me also because I, I've come that journey on this. Um, but I believe the gospel of Jesus is focused on counteracting bad consequences and initiating good ones. That the gospel of Jesus somehow is able to interfere with the process of consequence and somehow shift them off a destructive track onto a productive track. Okay? So, if you read the Bible... Um, and you read it through the right lens, because again, you know, have I got a bit of a bone of contention there? Yes, I have, because um, if you don't read the Bible through the right lens, well, it depends what lens you read the Bible through, you know, um, as to what you will think that the Bible is, is, is saying. Uh, for any of you that, that maybe haven't read the Bible or are about to read the Bible, uh, my advice to you initially would be get to know as much as you can about Jesus, right? How he talked, who he hung out with, what his attitude was to people who got it wrong and people who got it right, and people who were argumentative and people who get to know what, 
Jesus' view was and then read the Bible through that lens. Otherwise, what will happen is you'll be taught to read the Bible through a lens that makes you look at Jesus through that lens and then you'll think Jesus supports some crazy ideas which don't reflect the love and the kindness and the goodness of of God. But anyway, I digress. The Bible, read through the right lens, is not a book seeking to impose controls. Right? Because that's the image a lot of people have, isn't it? But it's a book seeking to bring people into freedom and teach them how to manage that freedom to create positive consequences in which to live. So it's the management of our freedom that creates positive consequences in which we then live. Now, let me give you a couple of examples, so I don't want to keep you too long uh, tonight. Two of the most staggering statements in the whole of Scripture, the Bible, to me, are found in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23. Because it doesn't sound like anything I ever thought or believed, and... Um, it's become, it become a couple of verses that are important for me presenting God's attitude towards humanity because this is this guy called the Apostle Paul who writes this and he says this, it's staggering, he says everything is permissible. Now that's the Bible, all right? That, that sounds like something you would not expect to be in the Bible, doesn't it? Now, If you don't understand the word permissible, you can look at the Greek word there. That Greek word also means permitted, allowed, right? So this is the Bible, right? Everything is allowed. Now that's some weird kind of strange religion, isn't it? And it's probably not like any of you expected to encounter in the context of the Christian faith, but this is the... This is the, the Christian Bible and this is, this is the star performer on the Christian stage of writing the Bible, the Apostle Paul, who says everything is permissible. You see, what is understood is something about the kind of freedom that Jesus brought that when the Bible says, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed, that Jesus brought a total freedom from everything that could be involved in our condemnation. Now, I want you to know something. Freedom is far more dangerous than control. Because we've grown up knowing how to live under control. Control says, Alice, you can't do this. You can do that. Right? So all Alice has to decide is whether she's going to keep the rules or break the rules. But if I say, Alice, there are no rules, Chuck. She then has to decide, on what grounds do I make my decisions? And number two, what are the implications of those decisions? Well, this guy answers it here. He says, everything's permitted, everything's allowed, everything's permissible. He says, but not everything is beneficial, okay? Or in other words, you're allowed to do whatever you like, but the consequences, the connected sequence of events, may not benefit your life one bit. In fact, it might ultimately kill you. Now, this gets real crazy, because really, if you take this on face value, which what is interesting is people who argue you should take the Bible on face value never want to take this one on face value. I've had, I've had people argue blind with me about, we have to take the Bible as it's written. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. 
But when I say, well, what about when Paul says everything is permissible? Oh, he didn't mean that. Well, that's what it says. You, you, there's no other way you can read this. Everything is permitted. Everything is permissible. But he said, but not everything is beneficial. Or in other words, he wants you out of freedom to understand something. There is a consequence to every decision, every choice that I make in life. And so if there are choices that can be not beneficial, there can be choices that are incredibly beneficial. Right? Now, what's interesting is, in this chapter 6 where he's talking, the, 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 the subject that he's talking on is sexuality. Which again is a place a lot of people don't want to touch when you're talking about the reality of Scripture. He's saying everything is permissible for me, everything's allowed, everything's permitted. But that doesn't mean go out and do anything that you think you might like to do. What he's saying is you have to understand that everything carries with it a consequence. So in freedom, now Alice, my wonderful example, has to make a decision that is not based on this is right, this is wrong, but it's based on what has been fed into her life that now helps her to understand how life works. Now, this is the way the kingdom of God works. When we understand his love for us, we make choices that work in life. Because that connects us with a process of thought and decision making that enables us to choose life and not death, right? To enable us to choose what will benefit us, not that which will not benefit us. Now, I'm, I'm right here and I limp, nail my colours to the mast. I'm not hard and fast on shouldn't do this, shouldn't do this, shouldn't do this, shouldn't do this. I don't try and do God's job for him. He does that much better than me. And the problem I've found is that when the church tries to do God's job instead of the church's job, we start to really mess up. And then we start to justify things that, that Jesus would never have justified. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he says in that context that, that uh, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, some things will take control of you if you don't make decisions that take control of them. <clears throat> so if you're going to just decide, I'm just going to put it out there and I'm not going to care about people's feelings and I'm not going to care about, about my own life and I'm not going to care about what I produce, he said, what will happen is that will begin to master you and control you and it will not be beneficial and the circumstances then will be very difficult to bring back because we've talked about grace that steps in. Now, in 1 Corinthians 10, he uses the same phrase as everything is permissible, everything is permitted, everything is allowed. He's talking about engaging the culture in this scripture, but he says, but not everything is beneficial again. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Or in other words, not everything is going to contribute to you living a blessed life. I want you to live a blessed life. God wants you to live a blessed life. A blessed life is not when you keep the rules. A blessed life is when you know how to choose what brings blessing in your life. When you know how to choose what is beneficial. When you know how to choose what will not master you. And as you make those decisions, what happens is you set a whole series of other consequences in event that the Bible talks about heaven becoming real in earth for you. And that's true in relationships and everything. Don't mess up your relationships by making stupid decisions. Boys, just because you can't keep your pecker in your pants. And girls, just because you think that if you don't give yourself to the first guy that comes along, nobody's going to love you. Don't 
Don't make that decision because there are always consequences, okay? They say what's right and wrong. It's not my job to tell you what's right and wrong. It's my job to tell you if you encounter the love of God in your life and you understand that love, you'll make choices that are beneficial and you'll make choices that won't control you. And it won't be because you're following a set of rules. It's because you've suddenly found a relationship in your life that is, is guiding you in that. So you cannot control the occurrence of consequence. But you can control whether you feed it or starve it. Okay? Whether you accelerate it or you decelerate its motion. For example, when we get circumstances or, or consequences that, arrive, uh, 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 that, that, that arrive relationally in our lives, the truth is you maybe have a consequence of something that was said to you or that you have said. Here's the choice. You can either feed it or you can starve it. How many of you know that from one conversation, often relationships finish up in total breakdown? Right? I'll never talk to that person again. It didn't start with I'll never talk to that person again. It started from an odd word here and there, an odd conversation. And then we feed it by embracing it rather than starving it. Now, here's the wisdom of the Bible. If you understand everything's not beneficial, you begin to starve rather than feed the circumstances that would destroy you. And you begin to feed rather than starve the circumstances that will bless you. And likewise, you can accelerate it or decelerate it. Now, I've already told you, we cannot eradicate consequences from our life. I would be lying to you if I said, you know, if you come to Jesus, if you pray to God, all circumstances will be eradicated from your life. I would be lying to you, and anybody that tells you that is lying to you. However, those circumstances can be interrupted, okay? Decelerated, starved, and a new set of circumstances released. So let me give you just a few examples for a close. For example, Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's a very simple bit of wisdom, right? A gentle answer turns away wrath. Or in other words, somebody's angry with you, and something happens, and they shoot their mouth off, and they're going after you. But here's what, here's what this guy in Proverbs says, but a gentle answer turns that away. Now, they might still be as, 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 as mad as heck with you. But what it does, it's like a shield that turns that wrath away from you, okay? So it doesn't mean if somebody's really mad with me and I say, well, thanks for telling me that, just know I really love you. My experience of that is to get madder. <laughs> so I wish it was like, you know, well, you know, thank you for telling me that I love you, you know, it, they just get more and more angry. However, what happens when you take on a soft answer, what it does, it's like it like puts a shield on your own life. So what you're doing, that consequence, you're not engaging. Because here's what happens. If Jenny is angry with me, and then I get really ticked, so I respond to Jenny, and then Jenny responds to me, and I respond to Jenny, and then Jenny goes to Dave and to Steve and, 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 to, uh, and, and to whoever... I'm getting old, the names don't come as quick now. Graham. Oh, and then now we're all involved, and then they have choices to make about what she's said, and I have choices to make now about what they're saying to me, but then because of what they're saying to me, I get my buddies, 
and, and now, before you know what's happening, the whole thing, the circumstance of it is just gone on and on and on and on and on. The, the consequence of it then becomes far-reaching. We might never heal our relationship. But if I, won't, if I buy a soft answer, don't engage in this, now, the truth is, then Jenny does not become my responsibility, Right? Jenny has a responsibility then as to what the sequence, the consequence of how she feels is going to do in her life. But in my life now, I've set a new series of consequences going. It's one of softness and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness. And so I'm not going to be, whatever goes on in this little bubble here, now I'm not in that bubble I'm in another bubble, and hopefully in that bubble, we can create a different consequence by sharing kindness with somebody. So, so that's one example of... Um, uh, and, and then the Jesus, well, I love this one. Uh, Matthew 5:44. But I tell you, love your enemies. That sounds great, doesn't it? Um, I, I have two issues with this. One is, many of the people on my side of the divide, you know, in the sense of ministry, uh, will tell you to love your enemies, but then they'll preach a God who hates his. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. A God who so hates his enemies that he's going to go after them and destroy them and crush them. And Well, you know, if you think that, you know, you're perfectly entitled to think that, but it makes no sense to me because... Because that sounds like God's really weird. Because if he tells me I have to love my enemies while he hates his, then, then I'm thinking, well, can I really trust this guy? He's a maniac. But you see, the truth is that God tells me to love my enemies because God loves his enemies. And God's not out to destroy his enemies. God's, God's out to intervene in the in the consequences that have arisen because of the choices of his enemies. God sent Jesus as an intervention in the consequences of humanity, okay? He wasn't a threat, he was a lifeline. So, love your enemies, okay? That'll sort it. How many of you know there's, there's lots of consequences on your life that if you love your enemies, they're just not going to be able to happen, they might do stuff, but, but you're set on a different track. Your consequence is then driven by a different power. Let me give you another one. Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, which means just keep forgiving him. Forgiveness is very powerful. Um, in... in in the book of Luke, that same scripture is repeated where he says, if he sins against you seven times a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, you know, I'm really sorry, will you forgive me? He says, forgive him. Well, what I find fascinating is, and this is typical Jesus, if he says sorry, forgive him. If he doesn't say sorry, forgive him. Now, why does he say that? Because if I don't forgive him, then there is a connected sequence of events that will follow on from that process. 
of which the outcome is never good for you or the person that you refuse to forgive. But when I forgive, there is a sequence that begins to connect in my life that has a different outcome. It's no wonder the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. In other words, this is tough, but we'll give it a shot. Let me give you one last one. Matthew 5:44. pray for those who persecute you. Um, and that does not mean, right, pray that they will have an unfortunate encounter with the number 11 bus on Aiken Front Street. You know, it doesn't mean, you know, pray that they'll lose their job and the kids will turn against them and the daughters will get pregnant and the boys will finish up on drugs. It doesn't mean that, okay? It doesn't mean pray that. It means absolutely when you are persecuted or when you feel used or abused, it says if you will pray for that person from the sense of, remember what Jesus prayed on the cross, he said, Father forgive them, they don't really know what they're doing. Uh, It didn't mean they don't know what they're doing in the sense of putting some nails in a cross, he meant in the whole context of even what they were doing to their own lives, the connected sequence of events that they were now triggering would actually lead to what was called the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. That's what the Jewish nation were unleashing upon themselves. He said, forgive them, they've not thought through the consequences of this. It's far more healthy when we are faced with challenges like that to say, Father, forgive them. They don't really know what they're doing. They really haven't thought this through. They haven't thought through the devastation, the disaster, the pain, the heartache, the disruption, the separation this is going to create. Now, you might say, well, okay, so how does that sort the situation? Well, the first and most important reason for doing this, okay, gentle answers, forgiving praying for those who persecute you, loving your enemies. The first and most important reason for this is not so that they will change. That's the mistake most of us make when we want consequences because we actually do what we do because we're only doing it for one reason because they better change. Okay, well, I've got news for you. Well, I'll use my phrase before. Good luck with that one. You see, you don't do any of that stuff so that the person who has created the consequence or involved in the consequence will change, you do it so you will change, right? Because if you can embrace it, if you can grasp this by faith, what I am telling you will change you. The problem sometimes when we're looking for others to change is that we just go on to destruction. The consequence in our life is it's not beneficial what we wish to pursue in the realm of going after others. And so even if they do change, we become too bitter, too disoriented, too offended then for when they do change for it to really matter. So here's the kind of thing that happens. Look, I'm sorry for what I did five years ago. Yeah, I'm sure you are, but look at what it's done to my life and look at what it caused me. And now you want me to forgive you. The truth is we become so engaged with our bitterness, the root of our bitterness, that then even when people are sorry, even when people try to put things right, if we don't come from this opposite spirit, we can't even receive it then because the consequence on our life has now taken on a life of its own. So we don't forgive, we don't give a gentle answer, we don't, we don't, we don't love our enemies and we don't, we don't pray for those who have persecuted us so that they will change. We do it so that we will change. 
Because it's not to change how they act, but it's to change how you react. Okay, do you get that? It's not to change how they act, it's to change how you react. Because how you react will then be the first domino in a connected sequence that you are then releasing that gives your life what Paul talked about, beneficial, not tied up with all that stuff. Okay, Building you, making you, strengthening you, and letting you live in the love and kindness of God. So let me finish by this. Our church motto has become, we had it up to this last year and then we changed it a little bit, loved, accepted, forgiven, done. That's the connected sequence, okay? Loved, accepted, forgiven, done. Love causes acceptance, which causes forgiveness, which declares everything that is necessary for you to be part of what I am is already done. That's a consequence, a connected sequence of God's love. It's a connected sequence of what God in Christ has done for and towards you. Loved, accepted, forgiven, done. And then we changed it this year to love, accept, forgive, do. We changed it because once we've understood that the consequence of God in Christ working towards me is that I'm loved, accepted, forgiven, and that everything necessary for my life to be blessed is done, is that when I love, accept, forgive, and do, that's the initiator of the sequence we're looking to connect to in our own lives. Love, accept, forgive, do. Love, accept, forgive, do. Love, accept, forgive, do. The answer to some of your struggles and the circumstances that you have found yourself in is not in resolving the problem. The answer is in your reaction to the problem. And if you will decide, because of what God has done for you in Christ, loved you, accepted you, forgiven you, and it's already done, that you will then pay that forward to love, accept, forgive, and do. I'm not asking you to be your enemy's greatest friend. I'm not asking you to find that all of a sudden you get on with people who don't really like you. That is never the issue of it. God is never demanding that of you. What he's asking of you is that in your own heart you begin a connected sequence that allows blessing and life to rise in you. Let me finish with this. When, when Jesus was asked how we should pray, uh, one of the things he said was this. First of all, let everything go to the Father, our Father, okay? Because he's trying to get through to, to us that God is not really God. God doesn't want to be God. He doesn't want to be your God. What he wants to be is your father, a good father, a loving father. If some of you have been abused by your father, that must be terrible. I really feel your pain. But imagine the kind of father you would have wanted to have and then multiply that by a thousand. That, that's, that's God the father. So Jesus said, here's the deal. First of all, I want you focused on the father. You have a father's love, okay? You have a father's love. Now, if God is a father, how some people describe God acting towards humanity is really weird and very questionable. In fact, in fact, how some people assign what he's going to do to humanity, if he were a father now in, in one of our countries in, in the West, uh, he would actually find himself locked up because he would be contravening every every act of rights towards children and people, and it's like he just would. 
So, so when Jesus is pointing, he's saying, the problem is that you think, you think God, God things. God up there, severe judge looking. So I want you to think father thoughts, okay? Our father who's in heaven. See, the truth is tonight, God is, God is father. He's father. That's all he wants to be. That's all he wants to be known as, father. So he's coming from a different perspective. Now, in some ways, I wish God was grandfather because I'm a better grandfather than I was a father. But that's only because I've learned now what it really means to be a father that I didn't know before, but God already knows that. So I said, Here, here's, here's when you pray, first of all, I want you understanding he's a father. Okay, so, so all that fear and condemnation should go. And then he said, here's what I want you to pray. Your kingdom come here on earth like it is in heaven. In other words, he's saying, here's, here's the deal. As in heaven so in earth. As in heaven, so in earth. You see, when I talk about this sequence that God wants to initiate in our lives through love, accept, forgive and do, the consequence is as in heaven, so on earth. As in heaven, so on earth. See, God's whole purpose in sending Jesus was never to get you to a place called heaven. His whole purpose was to get this thing that's called heaven which is God's fatherhood, God's care, God's love, God's wisdom in your life, God's strength to make you do the things that matter and the things that benefit. His whole idea was not that you come to Jesus to get to heaven, but that Jesus comes to you so heaven can come to you. And the great consequence that God wants on your life today is you walking in as in heaven, so on earth. As in heaven, so on earth. As in heaven, so on earth. So on earth. I want to tell you it's possible. I, I've had glimpses of it. I wish you could say I'm perfect, but I still want to kill some people. <laughs> but then I have to live by what I see because I've also learned that, that when I love, I accept, forgive, do, when, when I have a soft answer, when, when I set these sequence into my con, that heaven shows up. Wonderful knowledge of whatever guilt's been there, forgiveness exists. And whatever emptiness was there, there's a wonderful fullness. And the most important thing to me, this tremendous sense of belonging. Just belonging. Most important, belonging to God the Father. You know, the wonderful thing about a sense of belonging is that when we stray in our behaviours... It does not inflict upon our relationship with the Father because we've been given a sense of belonging that says that none of this is because of anything that I do. All of this is because of what he has done. And Jesus came to say, you can't do this, so I've done it for you. And when the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith, they knew it was difficult, but we were saying, Lord, if you'll just, have, and, and here's, what, here's what Jesus' reply was, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, or in other words, if you've got the tiniest bit of faith, just, just to grasp tonight to say, do you know what, this might actually work, and you begin to engage it in the grace of God, you will find it will revolutionize your whole life. It will interfere with consequences that you are now living in and it will initiate a different set of consequences which the Bible calls life eternal in you. 
Okay, just bow your heads for one moment. If something's touched you tonight, if something has engaged with your spirit, if you've grasped something, if you've been wrestling with something, if there are circumstances in your life that need to decelerate, that need to be starved and not fed, and it's time to initiate new circumstances because you embrace, first of all, that you're loved, accepted, and forgiven by the Father through Jesus, that everything necessary is done, and that you're on the path now to love, accept, forgive, and do. I just want you in your heart right now just to receive it. Just, just say, Father, I receive this truth right now. Let it come into my heart like a seed into soil and water it with your Holy Spirit so that it produces something in me that is beyond my own ability, outside of my capability to act, that is absolutely, as in heaven, so on earth. You might need to say sorry for, for even for your own benefit. There, there might be thoughts and feelings you've had towards somebody that you are holding on to those feelings that are just causing that consequence to drag you down and to destroy your spirit. Let it go tonight. Forgive that person in the same way that you have been forgiven. Release them. Let them go. Forgive them. Pray blessing over them. Let that go. And as you do that, what will happen is the forgiveness that's in you from God, again, will begin to cause, as in heaven, so on earth. And so, Father, thank you tonight for your presence with us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you always help us. Thank you that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And uh, we pray for the release of a whole new set of consequences in our lives tonight, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, you've been fantastic listeners. So enjoy your desserts. <laughs>